uh, I was thinking about uh, the last year or so, and if I had to have like really 2020 and kind of even up till now, really going back to right about a year from now with pandemic and everything that started, uh, the banner statement that would be over a lot of that and a lot of the conversations I've had in the last year. And I think it would be, um, it's more complicated than that. But that, that would be my banner statement over like all the conversations I had as I was thinking about over the last year, uh, different things that we're dealing with. Uh, with a pandemic and just in our culture and things, hot button issues and things that are going on and stuff that people would say. And I'd have a conversation with one person and out of their experience, they'd kind of say, and this is how I think it is. And this is what we should do. And then I would talk to somebody else who has very different life experiences and different things going on in their life. And they would say something totally different. And this is how we should do it. And, and what I found is I listened to so many of those conversations over time that I just started to say, well, yeah, I think there's some truth in what you're saying, but I think it's more complicated than that. And I would say that over and over because there's so many times with so many issues that are multifaceted and there's a lot of sides and a lot of things to take into it. None of us has, and, and me either, I was standing kind of in the middle listening to different people in different ways. And suddenly you're going, man, this, this is complicated. Because a lot of times it was, it was believers that are trusting the Lord and believe God's word and are holding to that and coming to very different conclusions. And so I found myself saying that a whole lot. It's more complicated than that. And so today, as we turn to Romans and we continue to work through Romans, we're in Romans chapter 13 and you read this text and you, you come, uh, uh, through these first seven verses. And there's some things that Paul says here that seem to be pretty straightforward and on its face, it's like, he seems to be calling you to some things about submitting to authorities and what that looks like and how you do that. And you read through it and you start to think and you go, okay, well, that's pretty straightforward. I was thinking about that as a sermon. Here's what he says in here. But then you start, as you read, you start to ask questions, start to think about, well, what does that look like? And how do I live this out? And how does that play out? And all of a sudden it's like, it's, it's more complicated than that. There's a lot here. There's a lot of things that he's saying and a lot of things that we need to consider. And so what happens a lot of times is we come to the truth of God's word and we see something that it says and it's true and it's right and not, not at all uh, questioning what God's word says. But then we see another passage and we go, okay, well, how do these two go together? Or we come up against a situation that we're dealing with in the world and we go, man, all these passages speak to this. And I'm not sure that there's a clear indication on exactly how we walk that out. And so a lot of times we end up with that kind of like, well, this is more complicated than maybe I first thought. And so as I was looking at this passage, and Paul says some things here uh, that seem to be very all-inclusive kind of blanket statements in his language, right? Like in verse 1, he says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Verse two, therefore, who resists the authorities, resists what God has appointed. Uh, you get to verse five and he says, therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And you start to go, is this a blanket statement? Is this a clear cut? He's saying this is what it looks like. And this is exactly how you live in every circumstance that you're submitting to the authorities in these way. And all of a sudden you go, well, but what about, and there's a whole lot of things that start to come up, or at least in my mind that do, as I start to ask questions and start to walk through this. But, but what about um, in different situations, is this what we're supposed to be? For example, if the government says something that's directly against what God's word says, does this still apply in the same way of what Paul's saying? They go, well, wait a second. How do I take that into account? Or if it's, and then if it's not a blanket statement, and we are called to submit, but there's certain cases where we're not, then how do I know that? 
And how do I make that decision? And how do I start to see those things? And so in order to answer that, I almost have to step back and say, well, why is submission important? Why is civil authority and government's important? And why does it say God has instituted them and put them in place? And all of a sudden it's like, I got a whole lot of questions, right? And I come to this passage and I read all these things and I go, well, it's a lot more complicated than that. There's a lot of things here that we need to see what scripture says, not only here, but what all of scripture says, what's the context that Paul's writing into and what is he saying here? And so what I want to do is I, as I spent time on this passage this week in these first seven verses, very quickly, it became uh, in my mind, this is not one sermon, right? This is not one week just on that. And so what I want to do this week and next week, and, and I'll reserve possibly a third week, I'm not sure yet. Uh, but when, when we look at this, I want us today just to see big picture of what he says, because he says some really important things that are very clear biblically about who God is and the way we relate to him and what it says. Uh, there's some great big points here about God's sovereignty, about the importance of civil authority, why it's there that speaks to man's condition and who God is and what he's doing. And I think those, a lot of those things are really clear that he says here. And so that's what we're going to do today is we're going to start kind of big picture, the things that I think are pretty straightforward that he's saying here. But then next week, I want us to come back as we ask some of those questions and start to ask, well, what happens if the civil authorities say one thing and God's word says another thing? Is it okay for civil disobedience in those cases, which I think it is, but how do we then look at that? And how do we decide when that's the case? And how do we, and that's where it even gets more complicated. And so I would say this as we start today, big picture, we're going to look at the things that I think he clearly says, and you may have some objections to that. I do when I'm reading it and when I'm thinking about it. And so I would just say, hold those objections to next week because I'm going to try to present the big picture today. And then next week, we'll come back and kind of look at some of those objections that come up. And hopefully after both weeks, we kind of have a a, a fuller picture of what it's calling us to here. And so with that said, let's start just right at the beginning. Those first two verses, what he says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. And so great big idea here, but it goes partly just to the sovereignty of God, that God is in control and he's over all things. And and he's pointing us to that. He says, no authority is in place that is outside of God's control. And what we see here in Romans and what Paul is saying here in, in chapter 13 is not unique to him. It's not unique to the epistles. It's not unique to this section of the Bible. It's all the way through scripture. He's not saying anything that we don't see in the Old Testament. Throughout the New Testament, we see Jesus say the same thing. We see the apostles regularly say the same thing. We see this over and over that God is sovereign over all things, including nations and rulers and their rise and fall. Uh, We could go to Isaiah chapter 41. I often read Isaiah 41 a lot in an election year. (laughs) And what it says in Isaiah 41 at the beginning is it talks about how uh, the different nations move through and they conquer and they leave a wake behind them. And, and it's painting this picture of what they often experience in the Old Testament of really difficult seasons where different nations rise and they're brutal in the way that they overtake. And you're reading this in Isaiah chapter 41 and you get to verse four and God speaks and he says, who has done this? Calling the generations from the beginning. I, the Lord, the first and last, I am he. And what God says is, I am in control over all of this. 
the rise and fall of nations, when you look at it and you go, oh no, and it's out of control and what's happening, and God says, I'm in control of this. And I've called every generation from the beginning, and I will be here before them, and after them I am the first and last, I am he. And he says, I'm in control. Or you can go to uh, 1 Kings. In 1 Kings chapter 12, Solomon has just died. His son Rehoboam is taking over. It's a time in Israel's history, about a thousand years before Jesus. And Solomon, who, who followed David, who followed Saul, that was the period we often refer to as the United Kingdom when Israel is the greatest nation on the planet and they enjoy their greatest prosperity. And as Solomon dies, his son takes over and he ends up being a terrible king. Rehoboam is arrogant. He's a young man who's arrogant, who listens more to his friends rather than to the wisdom that is around him. And he makes a lot of terrible decisions. And what ends up happening is Israel gets torn in two. It goes from this united kingdom to a divided kingdom, Israel in the north and Judah in the south, and it causes all sorts of issues. But as you read through that retelling of of what happened there in 1 Kings chapter 12, Rehoboam doesn't listen to anyone. He does his own thing, causes all sorts of issues. But then in chapter 12 and verse 15, it says, so the king did not listen to the people for it was a turn affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word. And so what it tells us, and it's some of the things that we've looked at already in Romans, God's sovereignty, we have real choices with real consequences, and those consequences get played out, but yet God is sovereign over all of it. And so it says that there in 1 Kings. Yes, Rehoboam made these terrible decisions that caused all these things, but yet God was in control. And he's working through this in ways that we often can't see. And so you see that in 1 Kings. You see it in Daniel Fast forward almost 500, 400 years, 400 plus years later, and Daniel has now been taken into captivity with many Israelites into the Babylonian empire, and they call Daniel to come and speak to Nebuchadnezzar, the king. And he comes before him, and he's interpreting his dreams, but he says right in the middle, in Daniel chapter 2, he says he changes, uh, talking to King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel says, God changes the times and the season, he removes kings and he sets up kings. He, he's standing before the king who has destroyed Jerusalem, who's taken the people out, who is brutal beyond belief. And he stands up before him and he says, you're only here because God's allowed you to be here. And God changes the seasons and he's the one that sets up kings and he's the ones that removes kings. We can fast forward another 500 years later and now Jesus is standing before Pilate. And Pilate has the power to, to crucify him The Roman Empire is ruling over the world. And if you know that story, a pretty famous story is Jesus stands before Pilate. Pilate turns and says to Jesus, will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And you know what Jesus says to him? He looks at Pilate and he says, you have no authority over me at all unless it has been given to you from above. And it scares Pilate. Because Jesus looks at him and goes, there's no authority that you have here that's not ultimately God's. And so we see this consistent witness, even of what Paul is saying here, is that God is in control of all things. He is sovereign over all rulers and all nations and all governments at all time. Even when it looks like it's greatly out of control, that's not the case. And so just as a big picture, and that doesn't even get to the heart of what Paul is saying here, but it's an important background for us to understand some of his argument And so what do we, how do we understand this? How should we look at that when we look at everything that's going on in the world? 
and so many things that seem to be against what God clearly tells us. But yet we have this consistent witness from God's word that he is sovereign over all things. And the first thing I would say as we just think about that is here's Paul writing under Roman rule. The Romans that are actually going to end up putting him to death. (laughs) And he's saying these things and he's pointing you to this and God's in control and he's sovereign over all of this. And he's saying God is not surprised in any of this. He's not wringing his hands. He's not sitting on his throne going, oh no, how did we get here? How did this happen? And so when we look at the world and we look at the things that seem to be spiraling out of control, we're not the only ones that have felt this way. I've seen this all the way through history. But in all of this, God is in control and you have nothing to fear. Now that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that things are great. It doesn't th- mean that there might be persecution. It doesn't mean right over the next few years, there may be things that we go, how did we get here? And how does it now look like this? But what it does mean is that nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. Nothing. Not kingdoms or rulers. They rise and fall. They come and they go. But God says, I am the first and the last. I am he. And so it's important for us to remember that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ and that he is ultimately in control. And so even when things look terrible, God is in control. Now, I say that and then I quickly want to say, but it's more complicated than that in some ways. And I don't mean to now say, well, yeah, God's sovereign, but there's some, no, God is sovereign, but what happens sometimes in the sinfulness of our heart, we say, well, God is sovereign, and I believe that is true, and we go to an extreme, and then we go, so therefore, I'm not going to do anything, right? He's in control, whatever, what do I have to worry about? I'm just going to put my head down and not worry. But there's things that God tells us, that we are to be involved, that we are to stand for justice and love mercy and to walk humbly with our Lord, that we're to care for the poor, that we're to speak truth where there's injustice, we're just to... To work for the good of the place in which we live. That means our our town and our state and our country. And we are called to do those things. And God's sovereignty is not a cover for our apathy. Which it can be at different times. We go, well, God is sovereign and he's in control. And so I don't have to worry about anything. Well, that's not true. The Bible tells us some things very clearly that we're supposed to be part of. And so if we uh, continue to just... um, liberally apply God's sovereignty over everything to the point that it leads us to a place of apathy, then we're missing, we're missing something. And so God is sovereign. We have nothing to fear. He is in control, but we are called to continue to speak truth and continue to seek the best of where we are. And so I want us just to think about the practical, practical effect all that has on our life. And as we begin to think about what he says here, That if every uh, ruler, everyone that has come into authority that God is sovereign over, uh, how should we then see where we are today? What does that mean for us? What is the the, uh, practical application of some of those things? And so one of the things I've seen that just always struck me is is, uh, out of step with understanding God's sovereignty in some ways. Is in my lifetime... Uh, I think I voted first in college. Uh, I believe, I was trying to remember today. Uh, I think it was Bob Dole and Bill Clinton. I think that's right. Uh, and that was the first election ever. And from that time forward in my lifetime, what I have heard is when the person that whoever, a large group of people, whoever they voted for loses, then they say, well, that person is 
who is elected. That's not my president. I didn't vote for them and they don't stand for what I was looking for. And so I don't really have to listen to them and I don't respect them and I don't really care. And they're not my president. And I don't know when that started. Uh, I heard uh, an older gentleman say, well, when I was a kid, we used to say it was my president, no matter who it was. And somewhere along the way, it split. And now we say, well, that's not my president and they're not legitimate and that's not the case. And so my, my question would be when we read what Paul says here, that God is sovereign over all things, everything, that he's the one that rises, lets any leader come into that position. As a believer, should we be saying that in light of verses 1 and 2? And so, by the way, that's not a partisan statement, I don't think, at all. In, in my lifetime, I've heard that said so much uh, about Barack Obama, it's not my president. I have people say that to me that I know to be believers and love the Lord. He is not my president and I will not. And then I heard people say the exact same thing with Donald Trump, right and left, both sides. It's not it, not the, what are we saying about God's sovereignty when we say that? Now, I'm not saying that you have to agree with that person. It doesn't mean that you can't stand up and say, I disagree with these things in these ways. I think we should. But what does it say about us trusting God's sovereignty when we begin to make statements like that? And so just thinking about how that works out. Because when we come to and we say, well, I don't like this person. I don't agree with them. I voted for the other person. I'm really frustrated with what's going on. But can God work in that? Can he teach you something through that? I was thinking about a job that I had years ago in Dallas probably had the best boss I ever had and the worst boss in the same company at the same time. I worked for an architecture firm. And the guy that owned the company was great. He was just gracious and kind and helpful and generous. Everything that you want in a boss. He was a believer. He was open about his faith. But the guy that I was directly under in my job was by far the worst boss I've ever had. He was awful. He was belittling. He was mean he was mean-spirited just in the way he liked to tell you when you had done something wrong and then make fun of you for it. And it was awful. It was terrible. Like I hated working for that guy. Really, really just, just like I can't wait till the day when I don't have to work here because of that guy. But what I look back on in that time is I go, look at, I, I think of all the things that God kind of taught me through that. Even the difference between the two, the good boss and the bad boss. And the good one was like, you could see so many great things and the bad one is like, but even with the bad one, I did learn a lot of things from him. It wasn't pleasant, but I did learn some things from him. And so trusting God's sovereignty and what he places us in and everything. And so what is he teaching us even now? If you don't agree with the current administration and a lot of things, they say, well, what are you, what is God teaching us? How do we learn from this? How do we say and honor those that are put in authority over us even when we don't agree? How do we trust God's sovereignty in that? And I'll tell you, this is not easy. It's definitely one of those cases where we go, well, it's more complicated than that. And I think if we're all thinking through that, there's some objections that can quickly rise to the surface in that. But God tells us that no one comes to authority that he hasn't allowed to do so. And so it's us, how do we begin to honor God and all that? Now, and we'll say this and we'll come back to this next week. That doesn't mean God condones what the leaders are doing. Him allowing them to come to that place doesn't mean he condones everything. And that's on both sides. 
of any president, any Congress, any Supreme Court, any of those things doesn't mean because they are in power, God has allowed that. And so that means he condones everything they're doing, but it just means that he is sovereign over all of it. And he is at work and he is still at work even when we can't see how he's at work. And so the first thing, that's the first thing I want us to consider. No one comes to power that's outside of God's control. And that brings a whole lot of things to the surface on how we think about that. We'll come back to some of those objections next week. Second thing here, though, look at verses 3, 4, and 5, because he starts to kind of lay out for us why civil authority is important, why government is important, why we need to have a respect for those in power. And so look at what he says in verse 3. He says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on wrongdoer, on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And so what he says here is, God has placed uh, civil authority in its place. He has governments that this is part of God's design for us to do good and restrain evil. It's to help keep things from going off the rails. And if we were to place that in the big picture of the story of scripture and what God has told us about who we are as people is that there are such, there is such a thing as right and wrong. Uh, we've covered this in Romans in Romans chapter one, our conscience bears witness. Even if we don't hear God's word, even if we ignore God and the world he created, even in our sin, we still know that there are some things that are right and wrong by our conscience. We all know that there's good and there is evil, but in our sinfulness, we rebel against that. And so as sin entered the world from the very beginning as as man with real choices, with real consequences, chose to ignore God and the world he created, sin entered. And then we do that. We rebel against the things in the way that God created us, against the natural laws that he has put in place, his moral law, and we continue to rebel against it. And so because of our rebellion, because of sin, we need to have civil authority in place. We need to have governmental authorities. And it's just like God giving the law in the Old Testament. He does so and he gives us this as kind of guardrails to help constrain evil. And so we need governments. We need civil authorities to help keep things from going flying off the rails because of our sinfulness. And so the Bible tells us that when we think about what God does as he gives us the law and then he even puts kind of civil authorities into place. Um, if we think of big picture, it does constrain evil. It also shows us that we're sinful. It alerts us to the fact that there are things that we do and we have a propensity towards that are not good. And in the big picture of all of that, what we see in scripture is that God does so to constrain evil, to show us we're sinners, but then ultimately to show us that we need a savior, that we are broken, sinful people. And he uses all of those together. And so when we think about what the point of government is and and civil authorities and what Paul is hitting at here is that we need those uh, guardrails. We need those barriers in place because we're sinful, broken people. And the world could be really a mess if there was none of that. It could quickly spiral out of control because of our sinfulness. And so his argument here of what he's saying is if, if you love God and you do what is right and you seek to do good, you shouldn't really be afraid of the civil authorities. You shouldn't be butting up against it because they're there to help constrain evil. They're for your good. That's, that's his primary argument. Do you see that in verse three? He says, for the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. 
And so big picture, that's really what he's saying. Now, as he says that, he says, if you, if you do good, you should be okay in that. That's, that's again where I want to say, but it, but it is more complicated than that, is it not? Because there are times when those in the civil authority or the governmental authority that abuse their power. Because we have to remember those that have been placed in that authority, God is sovereign over them. They're there with real choices, with real consequences, but they're still sinful, broken people. And there's going to be times when it spirals out of control and it's a mess. And so Paul's making an argument, I think here, of of big picture of this is the way it should function and what it should look like. But there's always times when it doesn't. And so that's part of why I say this is more complicated than that. In a perfect world, what he says would be absolute. Yes, there's no reason for us to ever worry, submit, everything will be great. But in a broken, sinful world with sinful people, there will always be time when it kind of falls apart. And so it does come back to that idea of that it's more complicated than that, does it not? Is this a blanket statement on all things of what he's saying here? Well, I think with just a little bit of thought, you could come up with a lot of places where you go, well, no, not exactly. Right? I immediately read this passage and go, what if you're uh, under Hitler in, in Germany? How does that work? Right? There's, there's some questions here that you go, wait a second. How do we hold to this? And so his argument here is big picture. Sinful people... We need constraints. God has put those in place for our good. And if we honor and follow God in that, for the most part, things are going to be okay. And so continue to submit, continue to walk humbly, continue to work in the boundaries of which God has given. And so that's what Paul's saying in his big argument. Now, we'll come back next week and kind of ask some of those questions. But I want us to end here this morning with this. With what he says just on his face here, honor God by honoring those that he's put in in place. They're there for your protection. They're there to constrain evil and to help good. Why does Paul tell us this in such stark terms? Right? He he seems to be very all-inclusive in his language. Do this, do it just like this. If you don't, you're against God. If you don't, it's going to cause problems. He seems to say all this even in a government that's really, really rough where he is. So why does he say it in such stark terms? Right? So like verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And so I just want you to think about this, a couple reasons why I think he says this. And we'll end here today, and then we'll come back next week to kind of think about some of those objections to all of this. I think part of his argument is if you do good and they follow the laws, you be a good citizen, you honor that God has placed those in, uh, in authority over you, and in doing so, uh, you be a good, you're, you're glorifying who God is and you're pointing to his sovereignty and you're trusting him in the midst of that. And so I want you to think about what that does in, in a few ways. The first one is by submitting to the authority that God has put in place. It's helping uh, kind of constrain the, the evil of our pride, which is so very dangerous. I, I read one uh, commentator that said it this way. And it really struck me as, as this is very much where we are in our country in a whole lot of ways. But commentator s- says it this way, writing to what Paul says here. He says he wants us to know the danger to our soul from unjust governments is nowhere near as great as the danger to our soul from the pride that kicks against submission. No mistreatment 
or unjust law has ever sent anyone to hell, but pride and rebellion is what sends everyone to hell who doesn't have a savior. Do you hear what he's saying? When we get to a place of saying, I don't agree with them and I don't agree in this way and I can do whatever I want as long as it's not what I think, then we never submit to anything. And that's a problem of the pride of our heart. I know better than everyone else. And that's a scary place to be for any of us. Now, that doesn't mean that there are real objections and real times when we say, no, I won't do that and I must honor God rather than men. That's true. But there's a lot of times where we need to submit in the sense of our pride needs to be kind of tamped down. And so it's important for us at different times to submit in that way for that reason. Because of the pride, the sinfulness of the pride in our heart is very dangerous. But then the second thing in all this is seeing that civil authorities are necessary. We need laws. We need things in, in place. And we know this as believers, and I think what Paul is calling us to is that as uh, the sinfulness of people, we know this to be true. We know that evil needs to be constrained. And if we don't submit to anyone that is put in authority, then that's quickly going to spiral out of control. And so to be a good student, uh, a good citizen that points to who God is, we submit to those that are in authority for that reason. Because we know it's kind of a, maybe a way to say it is it's a necessary evil to have the authority put in place like that. We don't like it in different ways. We want to buck against it in different ways. But at the same time, we know it's necessary because of the sinfulness of man. But then the third thing I would say is as we do, and as we live out what Paul is calling us to, and we're subject to our government and we work within it, uh, we speak up when things are out of step, but we do so respectfully as a good citizen. We follow the laws that are put in front of us. In doing so, we're helping to highlight that we're trusting in God and his sovereignty, even in the midst of things that we disagree with. Even in times when we go, man, it seems to be a mess. We're trusting that God is sovereign even in this. And in doing so, it helps to highlight that. And so oftentimes I hear people say uh, after elections, Different election years, different things that are going on. It happens almost every four years. Right now with the division in our country, it happens every four years. It's just the other half of the country saying it every four years, it seems like. But it's like the world is ending and it's all falling apart and it's all a mess. And it's real kind of hyperbolic language of this is it. This is the end of our country. The world's ending, that kind of thing. Well, people have been saying that for 2,000 years in a whole lot of ways. And yes, there's craziness and yes, there's things that are brazenly against what God says. But by doing what Paul calls us to in the middle of it, it's like we're the calm in the middle of the storm. God is sovereign and he's in control of this. And even if it leads to persecution, even if it leads to things that are that are coming against what God's word says, God will take care of us in that. And we continue to trust him and we continue to stand firm on what his word says in all things. But then the very last thing, And I'll end here this morning as believers that we seek to trust God is in control in these ups and downs and all that's going on as we see that civil authority is needed because of sin. As we seek to know God is in control and we seek to stand stand in the middle of all this mess. We understand all of that because man is sinful, right? So we understand we need civil authority because man is sinful. We also understand that those in authority are never going to be perfect because they're sinful, And so we have a clear view of that as believers, man's sinfulness and God's holiness and the break that is there. But what is missing 
in our culture so desperately. And it's the, the opportunity for us as the church to kind of stand in the middle of that. As I said earlier, right, the, the law in the Old Testament was to constrain evil and to show you that you're a sinner. And I feel like our culture kind of gets that in a lot of ways, right? They get that there is evil and we should call it out. But that's where it stops. In our culture, largely, it's like, yes, there's evil. And yes, I'm going to call it out. And yes, I'm going to say it. And yes, I'm going to shame people. And I'm going to tell them how wrong they are. But they've missed the last part that we as the church should have. And that is all of that is to point us all to our desperate need for a savior. That is the only answer in the middle of all of this. Yes, we are sinners. Yes, the world is broken. And yes, we desperately need a savior. And so when our culture says, well, government is the answer and the right laws are the answer. And it's like, no, it's not. A new heart is the answer. And the only way that ever comes is through what Jesus has done and understanding the grace of God and what he's done for you. And so there's this divide in our country and both sides are saying the same thing. If we were in power and we could fix it and we could constrain the evil, we could do it better than they could and we would fix it. And it's like, no, they wouldn't. Because the only way that it will ever be solved is by the grace of God and what he's done for us in Jesus. And we, as good citizens that are seeking to be under that as Christians, have that answer. And so we want to stand firmly in the middle, speaking the truth, being good citizens, honoring those in authority, seeing that God has put them in the place, but then using that as an opportunity to point to that Jesus is the answer. The grace of God and what he's done for us in Christ. And that's who we're called to be as faithful citizens in any uh, uh, government that's ever been in place. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the things that you tell us. We thank you that uh, you are ultimately in control of all things. I pray that you would help us to see that afresh today. I pray that we, you would spark in each one of us uh, a great humility that is balanced with uh, just an, a, an excitement to be able to speak the truth, a, a courage that can only come from you, that we would stand for the things that you say are right and true, but we would do so with great humility right in the middle, pointing people to you and what you've done for us in Jesus. Help us to be uh, people that uh, love where you have placed us, that love those around us, that show them the love of Christ in all things, and that all of this would be for your honor and your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.